and welcome to the Dice of the Screaming Podcast. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> got a little something in your throat there. I have glottal air. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And I'm Chris. Yeah, Chris Hudson. He's uh, the guest appearance for our show. We occasionally do with that. special guest star Chris Hudson. Yeah, yeah the curtains rumble. The SNL <laughs> cold open. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're here uh, podcasting back at full strength plus one. So yeah, Chris uh, just got up here and we have handed him a copy of the Gem and the Staff. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. We'd Live like, loot grant. We'd like to say that he traveled all this way just to get pick up his prize, but he was already headed up this way anyway. This is true. For which we were grateful already. Yeah. Uh, this was a planned visit. We knew you were coming. Yeah. Uh, and I still failed to bake a cake. Mm. I know. I know. Shame on me. <laughs> do people do that or do they just go to... Mike had a rough previous week. There was a lot going on. Oh. Uh, we had a lot of rain and I spent a lot of time bailing. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. The The repair people are on the way to the house. So uh, with a little luck, that'll be my last adventure bailing out uh, a house while it rains. Uh, but... Hey, here's to a better week. Well, you won't be taking trips to the Upper Peninsula soon, and hopefully nope. the, the painting gigs will be a little bit more uh, flexible to your schedule so you can do a couple podcasts, and yeah. Yeah, things have actually been somewhat better lately. Uh, you say you know, that with the ex- time. Yeah, with the exception of the weather, uh, things had been going really good. So, Well, this time we have a cure to that. You can call in next time. Yeah, we have mastered the art of phonian yeah so, dragging mike kicking and screaming to the 20th century yeah it, it, very similar to the technological level of about 25 years ago and mm-hmm. like i can no longer avoid that that means the actual 2000s mm-hmm. so uh, the, yeah like oh yeah this is this is viable tech uh, these are not crazy unproven technologies that uh, you crazy kids are into <laughs> so last week we were going to, I ended up doing a pod, uh, solo cast, excuse me, words. It was a solo cast about the um, Lendor Isle uh, adventure of L2 Assassin's Knot and also the murder mystery in the fantasy campaign. And I know you had a lot of stuff you wanted to talk about, and it was uh, just the episode I wanted to get pull the trigger on and get us uh, some forward motion on. Was there anything that uh, you think I missed on that? No, no, I just had so much similar material to contribute that uh, I felt a lot of regret for being absent because the art of the murder mystery uh, and the classics of mystery making, it touches so much on some of my favorite literary genres, okay, that we're talking about the world of Sherlock Holmes and uh, Hercule Poirot. uh, And, you know, just these are... I had to say it like that. Well, I mean, that's the pronunciation okay. for me. It's the only time I get French right, okay? okay. I, but, you know, like, I give him a pass because he's Belgian. So, in any case, <laughs> uh, those are classic examples that people can use to, you know, reverse build a mystery. Uh, going through the back catalog of material like that to create 
difficult to unravel. Uh, and then remembering that, you know, the red herring is, of course, an essential component in every great mystery, uh, you know, possibly several of them. Uh, and, you know, creating that neatly obscured trail. Uh, and then you place the clues, but you don't want clues that give away the keys to the kingdom. Like, oh, well, you know, like here's a <laughs> uh, obvious thing that like only this person could have done it. Uh, it there should be a moment further down the road where the second piece of information makes the first piece of information relevant. Uh, you know, like that pacing of the discoveries, uh, creating multi-part discoveries that, aha, if we have this and this and this in place at the same time, then it can only be you know, that, mm. that is a great mystery. Uh, it can be frustrating for players. If yeah, you I have players to that... to make uh, the red herrings part of like one of the tools that you can use to remove red herrings because in a roll tabletop, now what you're talking about is a complete different experience, a subjective experience from reading a novel and piecing it together. Than yeah. Playing in it. And those are two different experiences. I think that, uh, had we had the conversation, well, we're having it now. Yeah. That was integral to a murder mystery in a fantasy area, our fantasy gaming genre, excuse me, area, area genre 52. Um, <laughs> in the fantasy genre, especially the tabletop gaming uh, variety of it, you have specific tools like the tech thoughts speak with that and other divination and commune spells that can provide you positive answers provided your certain levels and high and all that. But they are tools just like a CSI type mystery where technology has some kind of like DNA fingerprint tracking, um, even you know, like, uh, you know, hair follicles recovered from a crime scene and all that weird stuff that we associate with that kind of cool part of uh, CSI, you know, where it's just like, hey, uh, we're going to do a DNA, DNA test on this hair follicle we found at a murder site. Okay, and we get the results back in 12 hours. Yeah, does not happen. But in this case, we're not worried about that. In a fantasy uh, gaming setting, you can kind of use that to facilitate and get rid of those red herrings is one of the points I wanted to make. So you can facilitate it. So it's less frustrating for the players instead of looking at it as an obstacle to you to creating the adventure like, oh, they're just going to uncover this clue right away. Well, yeah, let them. Design your murder mystery and let it flow. And then there are other things like um, where there are fantasy assassins, like the Red Mantis assassins in Pathfinder. When somebody is resurrected, they automatically know their target has been resurrected. <laughs> so they need to get back on the job. <laughs> oh, this isn't going to happen again. This time we're putting them in a jar full of acid. So <laughs> I think it, that was an important distinction to make that there is a difference between the fantasy genre and the detective genre because the supernatural or magical exists. Yeah. And rather than being obstacles, well, you just uncovered my magnificent plot. Let it be. Let it be so. But understand that the people who perpetrate these murders or these crimes, they were... know what you're capable of unleashing against them. So when they plan a perfect murder, uh, it's not perfect, 
but it's closer than that. Like, you know, you can't be busted with a simple, uh, speak with dead. Oh yeah, dude, it was Steve. <clears throat> uh, he, he like ran right up at me, right uh, in my face. Twist. It was a doppelganger looking like Steve. Yeah. Now we're talking, buddy. You know, this was, <laughs> it was a disguised Kenku as part of the great Kenku conspiracy. You know, they're moving, right? You know, huh? <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, all right, Chris, you seen the odd man out of this one. Did you get to listen to that episode at all? <clears throat> I have not, unfortunately, just because I've been marathoning a little bit. Right. Paper towel tube of shame. <laughs> yeah. Let the flogging commence. It, right. it is actually a subject I am interested in. I wasn't so sure with like D&D, but for Call of Cthulhu, because I'm thinking like once I get caught up on my Pathfinder, because I'm, I'm running the same adventure path you are, and I'm running oh. like a few chapters behind you, and I don't want to read ahead because I don't want to learn for myself. Cool. But, when I get caught up to that point, I'm just telling my group, okay, we're doing Call of Cthulhu until I get caught oh, well, up. Well, yeah, Call of Cthulhu is more traditional. But I have no context for writing a mystery or anything like that. So it is actually something I kind of want to well, figure there, out even how to begin. One thing we didn't talk, didn't enough time to talk about, even with me having a solo cast, having to cover a lot of ground, was how do you create one? And I think, really, to be honest, you can't do any worse than starting with Columbo. You witnessed the murder. I do love Columbo. Oh heck, yeah! yeah. <laughs> That's what the punch it, man. That is Peter Falk. <laughs> so, oh, uh, uh, just uh, one more question. Yeah, just, yeah, there's always one more. Thing. Just I, I had this thing on my mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's this whole idea in the three. Norris is going on. There we are. This little candle little jiggling. Um. <clears throat> One of the things I want to talk about was the creation of a murder mystery. And so the tools of, for a fantasy game is to plan accordingly. That was, uh, I think we hit the nail on the head and beat that one. Ran that nail through the horse underneath and flogged it into dust. I mean, we just basically have ridden that to down. So I think it's pretty, uh, pretty clear that if you use a fantasy game as a murder mystery, just because there are things like the tech dots, speak with dead, or even commune spells, that can provide you pretty solid clues on what's going on. Don't uh, feel intimidated by that. It's still valid as long as you make certain plans for it. And that's what L2 was good for, Assassin's Knot. Was the Assassin's knew that somebody would probably cast Speak With Dead on the corpse at some point in time, and they may plan their murder appropriately. But there were still clues. The golden loot string, the red leather tooled button and this gem the 50 gold piece ruby these all meant something but what what, what yeah, and no it? spell is going to reveal that to you <laughs> so it's still a good old-fashioned mystery yeah so you got to go out you got to ask the questions you've got to track down the leads uh, and like some of them are not going to work out uh, but like, I had a lovely mystery uh, that I I partially borrowed from a book uh, uh, that it involved a town under siege and a curse on the defenders uh, that, you know, for some reason, like bad luck was like a, a hex of bad luck was flowing through the whole town and nobody could figure out the source. Uh, and the reality was that uh, the actual money that people were handling, like their, their pay 
had been hexed with the coins. And so it kept circulating around like a social disease. Everybody who touched the, touched the coins was having bad luck. Uh, but I, I, the person who was the uh, antagonist was actually the party's contact inside the noble house that had hired them to help defend the city, mm -hmm. uh, to, to help get them out of this jam. Uh, so technically, the person that provided their information to them and act as a, acted as a liaison between the leadership of the town and themselves uh, tainted the pool of information they had to start with. Uh, so, like, yeah, I was extra convoluted. Uh, they eventually pieced what? it together. You? Yeah. I well, you really had to step your A game up because I had some very, very cunning players. I could not give anything unnecessary away. And I knew they were still going to find it, uh, work it out for themselves at some point, because the trail of clues ultimately put them in direct conflict with the antagonist uh, under his alternate identity. Uh, anyhow, big kudos to Barbara Hambly for, I believe it was uh, the book, The Dark Hand of Magic, uh, that had elements of this plot in it. And I just harvested a few trappings uh, before you setting that harvest you stole. Oh, hey, great DM steal. That's right. We don't borrow. Uh, no, shamelessly. Don't hide behind those words. Oh, yeah, I gutted it like a pumpkin. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, that's the kind of harvest I'm talking about. <laughs> the full moon blood harvest. <laughs> Grimdark. Country Bob and the Blood Farmers. All right. Well, um, yeah, so I think that that was pretty good. Um, if you get a chance to listen to the episode, you can use this as an addendum. I'll put, uh, put it in the uh, trailer notes. We'll talk a little bit about that. So, speaking of mysteries, what mysteries lay in store for us beyond... The veil of the future. Let's peel the back. The Astro All right. What is in store for us? All right. Gazing into the dice, the Astro sees the future. And he's on the night train. Oh. Yeah. We're oh. talking 25th anniversary. Deadlands. Yeah, I brought it up uh, last week, so hey, that's a great topic for next week. We'll be talking about the Deadlands Night Train 25th Anniversary Kickstarter. Yeah, you can still get on it. But what we're going to talk about specifically, it's not just Deadlands, but this whole adventure that turned into this thing. Mm. That if you wonder why people kind of have a little nervous tick in their face when you mention that, or they <laughs> avert their eyes and kind of... Night Train is a specific kind of gamer experience. It's a PTSD-inducing... Uh experience some of the fun. details of why it is so haunting to so many who have been subjected to it <laughs> uh will be expelled expect uh spoilers because we are going to talk directly about the classic night train adventure yeah so if you're a fan of the deadline system and you, oh boy um or you're interested in it uh some tales from the table i mean deadlines is now available in savage tales yeah uh, you can get that uh you know, it still uses some cards and, and, and chips and stuff like that. But uh, a little bit more streamlined because the original Deadlands was and the second edition were. Uh, mm. Yeah. 
They were a little, they were a little bit of a bear to play, but uh, once you got the hang of it, it, it all fell into place. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> they uh, did a part of uh, Rifts to Savage Worlds too, I think, which is something that might be worth looking. A lot of games it seems to had like really just kind of like rules you just sort of didn't want to mess with, but really awesome mm-hmm. settings. It seems like they're kind yeah. of salvaging a little of that. So I kind of Rifts that was my high school gaming right there, but like the thought of like messing with that system again, I'm just like uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, well, we'll we'll focus that for a minute before we tear into the subject. Uh, Yeah, Rifts. uh, People have asked me, like, why don't you cover Rifts? Well, okay. So, it's like, why why don't you talk more about G.G. Allen? Okay. Oh, um, hey. That's an unfair comparison, No, no, it's not. Uh, If if you've ever played Rifts, you will understand the connotation. So, let me finish on that one. So, yeah, it's like a G.G. Allen experience. You may... Have come away with it with some good memories. And that's on you. But only if you didn't have to use the mic. Right. But you may have also experienced something at a Gigi Allen concert that you never want to talk about again. (laughs) And that's not the fault of the game or the people that maybe you were with. But it was the type of people that gravitated towards riffs. They want some people who played riffs may not be the right type of people to run this game. And I probably blamed that on gaming during high school. Mm. Exactly. You know, it's like super cool. It's overpowered. So, okay, yes, yeah. But, you know, go ahead and uh, now you can pillar me for using the GG Allen. Why don't I talk more about GG Allen? Well, if you know about GG Allen, there's a reason that I don't talk about GG Allen. <laughs> yeah, the first rule of GG Allen Club is we do not talk about GG Allen. Oh, man, I broke the first rule. Yeah. I uh, okay. Uh, look, I, I felt like. Rifts had this enormous potential, uh, but you made an adequate point there at the end. I, mm-hmm. You honestly you struck the nail on the head, which the, the issue you run into is that the potential for going OP is there, and the impulse control on a lot of players who like move into the DMing zone, uh, they come to it with a big idea, and they OP it like crazy. So that happens a lot. I don't want to just blame that on the game itself, but I have to look back and be honest. Yes, the potential for damage is there, and they left it there. Rifts was my introduction to the concept of power creep. Yeah. Yep. It gets real. That's a fair complaint. I, I wouldn't go full GGL in there. I, I The experience of a GGL, if you've played Rifts, and had a good experience, hey, that's on you. Maybe more alien sex fiend or, uh, you know. Uh, I could mention another band, but uh, let's leave it at eight. Let's not make this a competition. But Gigi Allen, for a lot of punks, is beloved. Okay, because I'd say a Gwar concert because it's just really over the top and like, you know. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. But the whole experience is, is that everybody has a good time. At a Guar concert, not everybody has a good time <laughs> with Ritz, okay? Yeah. And that's my point is like yeah. some people who are really big in the punk scene praise Gigi Allen for his, <laughs> I don't want to say artistic, but that's what they say is art. I guess, you know, art is subjective, so we'll just go with that. But <laughs> before getting too far out on it, you probably have already Googled Gigi Allen and now regret your life choices. So I apologize yeah. if you didn't know about it before. But that's the whole point is that Ritz was this gonzo experience that didn't have any guide rails on it and just kind of assumed that you would make some good choices during this. And the other part is, is that 
the game lent itself to a type of player or DM that just didn't look at the setting as, say, a permutation of an imaginative creative process, but just a simple playground to wreck other people with. I've yeah. heard it described as the Calvin Ball of RPGs, and they ain't wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that, it, it, there you go. That's, yeah. That is the best description I've heard. It's Calvin yeah. Ball. It's yeah. Just... I, see, I don't want to like take the G.G. Allen road. I, I save... Why do I save really extreme well, examples like so that? Why are you so upset that I took G.G. Allen? My goodness. Because now I can't <laughs> use that for something else. Oh, you just... Okay. All right, folks. Here at the Dice for something we really have some bad. fragile egos, but yeah. every once in a while, I'm I do come out with something good, and he's just mad. Yes. Because you can really only use that once. Like, there can't be, like, 11 things that are the G.G. Allen. You know, like, once once you've used that material, it's gone. All right. But anyway. It's like the Yui we'll, Bowl. We'll stick with the Calvin Ball, which is really cool, because, yes, there are multiple rule systems for different mm -hmm. things. And each one is a different type of rule system rather than a cohesive whole. And that, in and of itself, is probably one of the biggest drawbacks of the game. The other one was the overblown, just, hey, I'm going to play a rough-and-tumble, nomad, Mad Max-type character. Yep, exists in rest. I'll play a dragon. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cyber dragon. No, just not a dragon. A cyber dragon. Yep. Yeah, that, that was my experience. It's like... So I totally feel like I'm immersed in this setting. You're going to get it in a minute. Oh, I bet I am. <laughs> yeah, so we don't talk about Rifts a whole lot because, well, okay, I yeah, don't have a lot of I loved experience. its potential because, like, if the DM scales the degree of extremeness, you know, like if, if you at least keep everybody on an even keel, and then a slow build to dealing with more and more powerful and complicated things. Then it had this wonderful quality that reminds me a little bit of the Doctor Who multiverse, you know, uh, the, the the possibility of like infinite places and infinite things. Oh, I I, 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 I don't I think you think too highly of Rifts, my yeah. friend. Yeah, I think maybe the potentials there. That Tor was a better. Okay, that's another good example where I think they exercised greater control over what was possible. Yes. Uh, Torg had, did they, it right. They built in, West End Games built in guide rails where these things exist in certain areas. Rifts did not put any guide rails on. They basically threw everything at it, and it was, yes, Calvin Ball meets GGL. <laughs> Leave it at that. But we want to talk about uh, Rifts <laughs> at some point in time, but I think... I don't have enough experience. None of the people that uh, gamed with it were able to really articulate a campaign where a cyber dragon and a Mad Max type nomad were, you know, best BFFs and uh, having the best adventures ever <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic, that's uh, fair, magic post-magical apocalypse state because it just wasn't nukes, although nukes were there. Because of course it is. It's everything. There was a demonic invasion. Yes, because and an alien invasion at the same time. <laughs> so the demons and the aliens, you know, they're like, yeah, they had a fight. So who won? Nobody. Nobody won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, the DM. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that in the same context that we talk about. That's why we don't talk about. More. But Deadlands is one of those um, games 
that I don't think it's a lot of talk these days because, as you said, like the savage worlds kind mm-hmm. of people now think the savage world systems, which they have a pathfinder for it. Mm-hmm. They uh, basically just took the world of Galarian and, you know, here's how you play uh, pathfinder in. Mm-hmm. I stumbled on that when uh, everybody was out of the Pathfinder core books a few months ago. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They had that one. They didn't have the others. Yeah. Which was basically just a Galarian and, and made it, uh, translated it to the dead art of the Savage World system. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah. And Deadlands is one that I've always kind of, I've never had the chance to play it. I kind of want to dip my toe in for the same reason that, you know, Rifts was interesting to me. And that's why I like seeing the genres getting mashed together. Like, I love Shadowrun for the same reason. Shadowrun's probably one of my favorite game settings. Yeah. But uh, sort of kind of hits that same chord. It's just, yeah, Rifts just kind of punched it until it broke. But I would love to, I would love to try Deadlands sometime. Yeah. That's the thing I loved about Shadowrun. Like, if you love dice, like your pool of dice, man, oh, I mean, no. it was a dice centric game. You know, it was a true gamer's game. Uh, Take every dice six you've ever owned, yes, and roll it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much fun. And some people complain about its complexity or wanting to sure. But you know what? Yeah. I'll put up with a lot if the game Fair. is good. Fair. Look, I mean, look, I'm not characterizing it as structurally perfect, but I am characterizing it as extremely personally satisfying. Okay. I found it immensely satisfying. Yeah, play. you have no problem walking next to a former uh, orc wage mage and a hard-bitten street samurai overly chromed. They mix together perfectly. Yeah, they, they all belong and in the same place deck, together. I mean, the cover alone of Shadowrun uh, itself. Yeah, the, the out-of-work ex-corporate hitman <laughs> working with a weird crew. But uh, it, it strangely works. Mm-hmm. You don't it it all makes a certain sense in that grim, dark universe sense. It, it attempts to make a cohesive world, like how Deadlands attempts to make a cohesive world. Right. And seeing those different elements come together in a cohesive whole, that's, just, that's deeply satisfying. Yeah, a former corporate security specialist. <clears throat> Hitman. Um, <laughs> that's what they're calling you these days, huh? The cleaner. No, I mean, Hitman, that's a polite word for what you did. Yeah. <laughs> that's the dressed up version. <laughs> no women, no kids. <laughs> Guys are so sad. All right. So, yeah. Hey, uh, before we get drifting off into another subject, we ate up our intro time like mad. So. Oh, did we? Oh, yeah. So, we're going to have to take a break. All right. To us, when so. we get back, we launch on topic. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so stick around, folks. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome back, folks. Hey, we're here burning up time and burning out your eardrums and brain cells. So, yeah, we've settled the great GGL and debate in our time, and I think that it's well now nine for us to move on to our actual topic, what we showed up to do this podcast for, and that's the Pathfinder 2 Remaster. And what we want to talk about today is not the controversy about it, because you can find a lot of people that have different opinions, and hey, some are valid, I think, and others may be kind of sift through uh, the muck to just pull out a few pearls, but hey, that's up to them. Um, what we're here to talk about is the nuts and bolts and the meat 
entertainers of this topic. So we have our little panel here, and so we're going to turn the question over. So Pathfinder Remaster. Now, Chris, let's start with you since you're the new guy here. Put you right on the spot. If it's your first night at Podcast Club, you have to podcast. Yeah, I see. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the Pathfinder 2 Remaster? It's going to it's going to soon to come out anyway. So. Um. I don't make the big deal out of it. A lot of people do. It it feels like from what I've looked at it, it really just kind of feels like a re-editing and errata. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I know it's going to spill over outside like the, the main four books that they're redoing. And this is going to have like maybe like a page or two. I'm not too concerned. They're reworking some of the classes. But for the most part, it really seems to be an organizational change. They're trying to have like all the stuff for given classes in like the same book where it's like now it's like oh you wanted to play a ranger well you've got all the some of this good ranger stuff over here in the advanced books now they're just throwing it all in the same book but they're going to shuffle like eight of the classes over into like the next book and some of those are like old core classes like the barbarian you know the monk things like that the sorcerer yeah you know some people probably not happy that they're going to have to wait a year to get that but that honestly keeps a reason to keep the original core around for a while because you can still make characters out of that. There's, I mean, it's, they're not making a different game. Like some people seem to be concerned as what's going on. Oh yeah. Uh, structurally, uh, the game is still very sound. Only a few things that are residual to the D20 style as we knew it in like all the way back to third and 3.5. Only a few structural things have to be altered to legally bulletproof themselves. But it does sound interesting. Some of the things you're yeah. you're referencing well, there, I I can't say I approve because I, I would be among those who'd be upset about having limited access yeah. to certain things well, until well, the publishing clears up. Well, one of the things that they that I saw was a stated goal is because they want the core book to be a smoother intro for people who've never played the game. So if we're, they got 16 classes and they'll put eight in one book, eight in another and have everything you need to make those characters in there instead of having spread across multiples, but they want it to be like the eight most accessible classes. For example, core book. Now they have them listed alphabetically. So you open up the list of like the classes and the first thing you get is alchemist. That's not a newbie friendly class. Correct. So that's going to be your introduction to the game. You look at alchemist, like what the hell is this? What do I do with this? <laughs> and they're kind Big of trying fire. to avoid. They're trying to avoid the here's the fire hose scenario. Is at least that, that's kind of the impression I'm getting. What they're trying to do. Oh man, well, yeah, but that that's that's a noble goal. I, I would be frustrated by the wait for the other eight classes, especially if you picked some other eight classes that I, I think <clears> some <throat> of which are even more central to the game. Well, I think the the takeaway is that. The game as it exists now does not have to be, re, uh, you don't have to rush out and buy these books. You have a perfectly working vehicle. Mm-hmm. If you want to take some of the changes that are already going to be implemented, I mean, they already did it on Forge last night when we were playing. Yeah, the the patch notes we got with the, the name, the change name, the, the name changes for the spells. The uh-huh. name changes for the spells yeah. and languages. They're further distancing themselves. Filing the serial numbers off. Yeah, uh, from the <laughs> as they should. D&D adjacent experience that Pathfinder is. I mean, because Pathfinder is basically D&D, uh, another flavor of D&D. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, here's your um, papaya banana daiquiri 
a margarita mix of D&D. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a little fruitier, it's a little crazier, but it still is, is a margarita. Um, that analogy, I'm not going to make you mad this time. Right there. No. No, I I got a good analogy, and I, I okay, I'm cool. prepared to unleash it. Uh, our you know our problem, the problem that they has obligated them to do this. Uh, it really, we have discussed this before, but it does come back to wizards, mm -hmm. uh, and you know it's because honestly now at like the thirty year mark, uh, wizards has proven that like they are really aspiring to be the Germany of like you know game companies that like every 10 to 20 years they just go nuts okay they, <laughs> like it okay. starts with some songs in the beer hall and then it's invade a neighbor and you know, it just it happens really quickly and gets out of hand way sooner than we expect uh and nobody wants to have another conflict but they push themselves into inevitable conflict now the folks at pathfinder the reason i have great empathy for Paizo in this is because this illegal bulletproofing is necessary. So we, we've covered that before, so I'm not really going to go on it. And right. the, 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 the degree of it is something that kind of struck me last night because we were looking at the patch notes and I forget what they changed the name to, but like they renamed Fireball. Yeah. And I'm like, who's going to sue over Fireball? Who's going to sue over Lightning Bolt? This, this is some basic bread and butter stuff. And then it's like, no, nope, Wizards of the Coast. That's who will sue over Fireball. Well, they yep. also sat with a, Bingo. A, a legal team yeah. of gaming conversant lawyers. And they said, here's something that you should be aware of that could be a legality or issue, so <laughs> you don't have to do this again. But Being breaking, thorough. But while they're in Paizo's, in a rebuttal to why, oh, you have to go buy these uh, books again, or why are they breaking it into two parts with the two-player core books and the... Um, game master guide in yeah weren't you guys getting away from that with just one core rule book one purchase bam you're done you lay down your money well the reason why is just for the reasons you said is that the alchemy the mm -hmm. alchemist rules is your first core class mm -hmm. and that's not a player friendly version but so while they're making these changes removing certain D D I very influenced from D D terms even though they renamed half the monsters and already in the in the uh, b series they'd already been doing that yeah they're going to continue with this while they're already having the hood up under the car so to speak they might as well just do uh, you know while we're while we're here uh doing a tune-up we might as well change the oil and uh do a transmission flush and you know what it does sound it, it is already beginning to be apparent that they have uh, used this as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make some, you know, non-structural alterations uh, for fun. You know, like here's some ideas that we're kicking around that we haven't had a way to like squeeze these into play. Uh, now is the time because they're not likely to be doing this again anytime soon. So the yeah, you'll have at least like, another ten, maybe twelve years, and it, and. The other thing is, is that the pies of the Pathfinder core rulebooks are still very valid. You yeah. don't, the game has not fundamentally changed. Yeah, most of those classes, even in the second book are like, they might have like two lines of errata going forward. I mean, it's still, you can still play that. Like you can use a class from the core book that's not in, you know, the old core book that's not in the new one that's coming out. 
he mix and match those parties and that's fine. Like with my campaign, when that comes out, I'm not going to be like, okay, it, it's like, wow, patch day. We're changing everything on you. I'm not pulling the rug out from under people, but I will probably start using it as like this, the main rules reference. Not much is going to change there. And like, I've got two people who are playing the witch class and the witch class is one of the ones that's getting an actual proper patch. And that's also as cool as that's getting moved into the, yeah, that's getting moved into the core book one, instead of like a a splat book, like it currently is, that's going to become one of the core classes. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask is like, do you want to update this? Because the game's going to function just fine either way. Oh yeah. But, but it's like, you're going to have them have a look at it. It's like, does this look cool to you? We'll, we'll tweak what we got to tweak. And honestly, I don't expect the changes to take more than like 10 minutes. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. I like the vow analogy. I mean, yeah. to put it into perspective, uh, to address to go back, <laughs> address to go back or do something with what you said, um, having to wait for another six, eight months for the player core two to come out mm-hmm. and get the rest of the classes. Remember, you still have the core robot. It's still there yeah. and it's still yeah. a viable and option. I, I They're didn't... not just coming out with this game in, okay, here's our new Pathfinder game. You're going to have to wait. Eight months for the other part two. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just a big fan of their old tradition of like one book, right. everything you need. I considered that one of Paizo's strongest selling points uh, as a introductory version of the game. Yeah, yeah, rather than breaking it out in Player's Guide, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Bestiary or Monster Manuals, they kept it pretty close to like, okay, here's the core rule book. This is what you need both to DM and play. And now they're just putting it back to, yeah, maybe the paradigm of just having a player's book. And the player's book, Core 1, mm-hmm. presents what would be the essentials. Yeah. This has your fighter, it has your rogue, it has a wizard, it and the cleric. It has all the basics that you need. Now the druid, the uh, sorcerer. Druid's going to be in Core 1. Oh, druid is. Okay. Yeah, druid's still going to be in Core 1. All right, yeah. So, okay, druid's in Core 1. Whatever they end up putting in the others, um, and the second one is more like the alchemist. Yeah, yeah, the alchemist, the barbarian, the uh, the monk, and the um, sorcerer. I think are really the only ones that are like in the current core book that are getting kind of punted down the road a little bit. Yeah. Oh, and the champion, the paladin. And part of that is because they're getting rid of alignment. And right. alignment is like a core mechanic for that class. So honestly, I'm probably going to keep alignment in my game until the second book comes out, just because otherwise, if someone wants to play a champion, how am I going to manage that? I'm going to have to use the old core. All right, yeah. Hey, let's talk about that right now. So yeah. that's a that is a major change for a lot of people. Um, yeah, especially in the DMing trade, we have had discussions on the nature of adjudication of alignment, and. At the idea of a world without it, mm-hmm. uh, rather than having an alignment per se, you have a code or ethos that your particular champion has to embody. And that could be like being an avatar of a cruel and terrible god, you know, be merciless to your foes, but absolutely obedient to your order. Uh, you can do that and be like a champion yeah. of, of that deity uh, and have not necessarily. You, know, you don't have to adopt, like, I am un- antisocial and cannot be reasoned or played with or trusted. Yeah, yeah. They, they already, with clerics especially, already sort of have, this is this god's list of do's and this is this god's list of don'ts. Edicts and yeah, yeah. 
And so, you know, and those kind of play along with the alignment as written as it is, but the alignment itself is yeah, kind of immaterial at that point. Chaos neutral <laughs> and then good neutral evil accents. It's... And they're going to do something similar instead of alignment for even non non-cleric, non-paladin classes, but it could be something like, oh, what's your ethos? Uh, make money or, you know, help the innocent or protect this place. You know, it's going to be, you, know, you can kind of boil it down that way. And it's going to be more personal to your character instead of, okay, here, here's the list of chaotic good traits that I'm going to embody. Yeah, and I noticed right away, uh, like playing... Uh, fifth edition some time ago um and now of course playing Baldur's gate three as as they've like employed uh fifth edition style mm -hmm. uh, things that alignment does not play as much of a part mm -hmm. as people imagined that it might uh, it, it proves to be largely irrelevant uh, and that it it is the decisions you make in play that have an impact on the reaction that other people have to mm -hmm. you that like there are natural consequences for your actions so whether you define yourself as good or evil or what have you is almost irrelevant your your real interaction with the world uh, of gameplay is the actual arbiter of how things go for you and you know they, they don't let terminology get in the way there like mm -hmm. well, i'm good but I also steal everything in sight. Okay, then yeah, as goodly as you may be, you may wind up in jail. <laughs> so, well, yeah, you're actually have consequences. Caught. They always have. That's one don't get caught being good the way you like to play it, because uh, that's not going to go well for you. I think one of the the advantages of removing alignment is. You no longer have the ultimate definition of good versus evil. You have holy and unholy, which I mean is conversely, maybe it's the same thing. Maybe you're just finding a different a word to describe the same sort of feeling. But yeah, you know, I think when you would encounter a, a Baylor, a Baylor, <laughs> you definitely know that that's something bad. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, we live in a postmodernist world where like these definitions are extremely hard to come by anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they lack punch because we, we live in a world where people loudly profess how good and how wonderful they are while being absolute scumbags of like the greatest possible proportion. Uh, We're not talking about anybody in particular, by the way. No. Yeah. Nobody in specific, <clears throat> but it's literally so evident in our society that like what value does an alignment system have in this era? where like you know people who profess to be exemplars of virtue are literally the foulest people you could imagine so you know and that adds depth to characters as you're writing them too yeah. because you know you could have that sort of type of person in a game like especially back in the day when alignment was more of a tangible thing and you cast uh, detect alignment on oh well, that guy's clearly not to be trusted or the paladin had to take evil yeah Oh, yeah. this guy is definitely what? <laughs> the high priest is secretly lawful evil. Mm. Yeah, in the old school community, you know, you would have to have the talk with the paladin that, oh, the merchant is evil. I draw my blade and attempt to slay this evildoer. Well, okay, so there's varying degrees here of evil. Okay, so the evil of a miserly 
merchant who cunningly cheats the system to uh, glean himself a few extra coins in terms of advantage over his competitors is not the same type of scheming evil that a cleric of Asmodeus is, okay? Or the so, same kind of evil as a knight who is about to butcher a civilian in the street because of what a spell just told him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll win Because, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, you can't just have paladins hacking, like, ride by evil slayings. Uh, so what's good if I risen. detect evil, then, if I can't act on Well, that means that you should be cautious in your dealings with this person. And, and then you would often caution your party members, like, do not deal with this callow merchant. He is reckless, and he has, lacks moral character. Yeah, you're you're talking about proportionate response, like you know how great is their crime? Like, oh, here's a a guy who whose evil means that, uh, hey, maybe a little like uh, stone gets ground into the bread over here, like the evil Miller. Uh, oh, yeah, and if you take the loaf of bread and you know pour it, put it in water and you know uh, mash it down, out comes like you know an ounce of stone. Of ground stone in there that gives it weight and the appearance of of more bread. Yeah, and he's he's doing that on every loaf. Uh, yeah, look, that's not a person who needs a skull chopping uh, to restore the balance to the universe. Yeah, uh, but uh, the the prime minister who has you know, like charmed the king and has led the country into war and has taxed the peasantry into starvation and induces suffering on a national scale. Yeah, you know what? That's that's worth working your way up to the top so that you can mow that dude down. Yeah, but you have to approach each one differently. You just can't walk in and kill the prime minister. I hereby convict you guilty of being evil, and therefore you must die. Yeah, you got to bring some uh, proof to the crime, which is what we were talking about last week. So Yeah, proof. Uh, you need to have proof because... It, yeah, we killed this evil murderer dead. You just have to trust us on the fact that we found all the evidence necessary to commit this murder. Now, the paladin would be justified in going off on, you know, like, I'm going to observe this person further and see if their suspicious nature leads me to some kind of evidence of their, their wrongdoings. And then I shall go forthwith to the town magistrate and I shall see to it that they are appropriately punished. So what, your paladin cancels them? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the the same way pickpockets get canceled by going to prison. Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> just just throw oh, it out yeah, there. Yeah. I just had to throw that joke in there. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, so your paladin goes around canceling the Miller, the evil merchant, and yeah, he cancels them the same way that a pickpocket goes to prison. Yeah. Well, but hey, yeah. Uh, so. We talk about alignment. Let's talk about the other problem. Is uh, they're getting rid of the traditional chromatic and metallic dragons. Yeah, where are you on this, man? Um, where I'm at is, for one, I think it's a shame that they feel they have to do this to again file the serial numbers off because they're you know, oh, you have a red dragon. You know, we'll sue you for having a red dragon. Never mind that you know that's small. Uh, but here, yeah. <laughs> token estate. Yeah. Token estate. But I, I see two different things that I consider to be a benefit for this. One, the old bestiary is still going to be there. It's still going to be compatible. It's still, I mean, you can go to archives of Nethys where they have the entire game basically backed up for anyone to use at any time and just look up Red Dragon and it's going to be there. 
And the other thing I look at it is they're not removing them and not replacing them with something else. They're actually making their own. They're actually you know, they're exercising some creativity in this. They're exercising some world building in this, and something new and awesome is going to come of it. Yeah, I don't. I understand the legal bulletproofing. Uh, I'm. I will say that. Uh, thank goodness, old editions are available for people to continue using. I am a little excited to see how they, uh, you know, present this uh, in a, you know, neutral fashion. But as for me, you know, like whenever I self-edit, whenever, you know, when we hit the game table, it's always the DM at that table is the arbiter of what's about to be presented. The, the concept of uh, dragons that, you know, have a variety of, of yeah. appearances and behaviors that's pretty infirmly entrenched with me i'm, I'm not sure i'm well, well i think sometimes people get a little too attached to like what's in a given edition. Well, well you know pathfinder removed this can't use it anymore i mean that's not true that just means they're not going to print it anymore it's sort of like how they're y'all are talking about they're not going to print anything involving the drow anymore it doesn't mean the drow aren't in the setting it doesn't mean you can't use drow i mean they they, they never yeah, yeah they never printed a lot of classic D D monsters that doesn't mean i'm not going to find an excuse to homebrew a beholder and throw it in my pathfinder game i do what i want oh yeah <laughs> i mean if, if they if they want to send the pinkertons to my house i mean they could try yeah good luck with that man yeah. <laughs> um, you know you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a lot of trouble uh holding up in court like uh, against people who aren't profiting yeah. but are using concepts mm -hmm. uh, and the cat's out of the bag, you know? So, I mean, my advice to wizards would be, you really got to learn to let this go, bro. Mm -hmm. You really got to learn to let this go. It's not going to, it's not going to work. But I don't and, fault Paizo for not assuming that they're ever going to let this go. Cause like I said, yeah. the, the Germany thing, you mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen about 15 years down the road. Like, so they lost this round and had to like lick their wounds and back off and go, Oh geez, our reputation is really crap right now. Give it 15 years. And that is what Paizo is doing, is they're bulletproofing themselves for the next round, which will be like round three or round four of, like, yeah, Wizards decides to misbehave once again. But it's going to happen. They'll be so remote from it that there's almost nothing the Wizards can do. Yeah. It does raise a question for me, because you had me, before the podcast started, I was flipping through a copy of Old School Essentials. What are they going to do? I mean, is there a chance that Wizards is going to come after OSE? Because, I mean, they still have a fireball in the book, you know? They still have Magic Missile. Well, right now, accordingly, Wizards has stated they're not going to come after them. And I think that pretty much there's not much meat on the bone for Wizards to go after them. Yeah. This was pretty much a shot fired at Paizo. Yeah, they got a special Rome hate on for Paizo. And um, yeah. even Cobalt Press. I mean, Cobalt Press was selling 5th edition products. At a faster and more robust rate, oh well, producing them at a faster and more robust rate than Wizards was, mm -hmm. and they were selling maybe not as well as some of the Wizards releases, but consistently Overall. over a period of time. When you come out, even if you're not having a blockbuster like, uh, oh, what was the one that uh, was really big, the Heist, Waterdeep Heist? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, that sold a lot of copies and you know had some master editions. They were selling consistently, and that's really if you have a sustainable sales model. That's what you need to stay in the business. 
and stay relevant. And your name is in the game. And I think Wizards was also looking at the smaller press companies. It's like they're fighting and, you know, they may not take a big bite out, but there are many of them. And after a while, you begin to notice. Like they're like the all of them as an aggregate, like these, say, for instance, I throw out a random number here. 20 tiny companies are publishing fifth edition materials successfully and collectively as a group, they are making this many hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and then they're thinking to themselves over at Wizards, how come we're not making these hundreds of millions of dollars? And my answer to you is because you're not publishing any of the stuff that they are publishing, nor do you wish to employ any of the people who are writing and creating that stuff. You made that decision. Now, you could likewise have made a decision to pay a large number of creatives and writers to create and then publish that material on your behalf, and you chose not to. Uh, and other people picked up the banner and went to war and fought in the trenches while you just sort of sat back going, eh, you know, once in a while, we'll let something out. You know, we'll put out some material. And hey, give it to Wizards. Back in the glory days of uh, the ascendancy of 5e, they published some outstanding material. And at stake is they got tired of doing that, but they still want the kind of money that would come in if they were if they were actually doing that yeah i think what they um Stu sheerest stupidity yeah you you get what you earn buddy <laughs> that's a that's a really good point and i just want to and just revisit i don't i think ose and some of the osr adjacent games that kind of still use uh they're probably the, safe i hope they're safe for now but I yeah think... they're probably safe because wizards has said that that's under the creative commons but Let's face it. I don't think OSE. They say that they'll still honor the game uh, license, the OGL license 1.0A, and place it under the Creative Commons. And I think as long as that is a viable approach, OSE and all the other companies that make swords and wizardry and um, even uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics can sleep pretty well at night, okay. knowing that yeah, they're maybe beneath the radar. Well, they're not just beneath the radar, but they are so different from what the 5e mm -hmm. presentation is, or what the D&D &D Next or D&D &D 1, whatever they're going to call it. I, I don't even at this point know. <laughs> I think they know in the boardroom. I just think, you know, it's that game. Whatever they come out with the name for it, it that's going to be so different that just, yeah, they have a fireball. You're having to deal back with the original thing is that you had to sit down with a bunch of gaming conversant lawyers in a, in a room and they just said yeah it would probably be a good idea to change fireball why would it be a good idea to change fireball well if the wizards wanted to get petty they could bring this up and paizo knows that they have crosshairs mm -hmm. painted on their back they know that the, there was a shot fired in direction but also wizards assume they'll be petty yes yeah and, now if i were the ose people and uh you know kabold press and all of the others like the the wonderful thing about having uh the orc license out there is oh, yeah, there the is license. there is now somewhere for people to go should they need to now pro tem it is perfectly safe for them to keep going you know uh, <laughs> the dark lord has grown quiet <laughs> after his recent defeat he was he was quashed by a peasant rebellion but he was not destroyed. <laughs> the shadow lingered across the land. Yeah, uh, they may be very nice right now, 
and all of these companies, I think, are perfectly safe. But there is a place for them to go. So there's a lot of confidence out there that, mm-hmm. like, okay, there's no reason for us to change a lot of stuff right this minute uh, for the smaller companies. But they do know that, like, that the possibility exists that another 10 or 15 years down the road, uh, <laughs> once again, say, would all of you love a pleasant journey in one of our lovely cattle cars uh, to come visit our corporate offices? Uh, you know, and they're just going to be like, yeah, okay, uh, the rest of our publications are going to be ORC. It, it kind of comes full circle to me, sort of like uh, if I had a nickel for every time Paizo saved TTRPGs, I'd have two nickels, but it's weird it's happened twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> All right, and I think it's that's going to wind it down for us, so we're going to have to land the plane on that. But, uh, Chris, thanks for showing up. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It was a great pleasure. talking with you, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Remember, you can like and follow us on our Facebook group, and you can also favorite us on our Spotify Podcasters app. So download that today. You know, that's our little advertisement. So we're going to bid you do. But until next time, may, may the, the dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.